1: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: Both the Democratic leader and the White House chief of staff now indicate they think President Obama's problem was that he was too bipartisan.
3: If he was meeting us halfway, he's a he's a damn poor judge of distance. So, uh, old Kennedy getting his uh, folksy shots in. Um, uh. I, I'm I'm annoyed that one of the biggest spending sprees we've ever gone on in American history and world history uh, is getting so little discussion and comment. And I agree with pundits who say the Republicans did a terrible job of standing up for the other side, explaining to you know people what's in the dang thing and why they should be against it. I think because a lot of them didn't understand what was in it, or they they realized, hey, the polling shows people want checks, so we're just going to focus on that, which is only a tiny portion of the $2 trillion thing that got signed into law yesterday. It's law now. It's over. And um, I'm I'm just very unhappy about the whole thing. I, I wonder... I wonder if people are going to come to know what's in it. One of the biggest remakes of our welfare system in our nation's history—the whole tying work to welfare that Bill Clinton ushered in and Joe Biden voted for—is now over. We're remaking a lot of, the, of a, lot, a lot of the way we look at society, and nobody's paying any attention.
2: Well, I have a number of things to say, but first let's introduce our beloved guest, Lonnie Chen, David and Diane Steffi Fellow in American Public Policy Studies at the Hoover Institution and the Director of Domestic Policy Studies at Stanford University. Lonnie,
3: how are you, sir?
4: Good morning, gentlemen.
3: We understand you got in a vicious argument with somebody on cable news this morning.
4: I don't know about a vicious argument. I just, uh, you know, gently reminded uh, the host and the audience that You know, you've got $1.9 trillion in spending, very little conversation about what's in the bill, a constant effort to frame this as, you know, some kind of bill that's really targeted to those in need. When in fact, what it is, is a, it's one of the largest pieces of spending in American history uh, for a bunch of really what are progressive wish list items disguised as a covid relief package i mean that's that's what it is i I think people would be a little bit less upset about it if if folks just leveled with us every once in a while and told us you know actually this is the vehicle we wanted to use to pass a bunch of policy we wouldn't have been able to pass otherwise and that's really what this is about
2: i heard one pundit say that this bill is adjusted for inflation larger than all of the spending of the new deal during the great depression have you heard that
4: have and let's not forget guys this comes on top of four trillion dollars of spending we put into the economy last year so you've got uh, you know another 50 percent on top of the four trillion that we did last year so you know I just I, I don't even know where to go with this anymore we I know so I know immune to it you were just immune to it you know nobody really cares and all you hear is people out there saying yeah spend the money spend the money people need it spend the money
3: well, we were so. It's funny. Your emotions seem to be similar to ours, where it's just like I don't even know where to go now. I mean, if you can, if you can pass through into law one of the biggest spending bonanzas in our nation's history, and it just hardly gets any discussion at all. The sort of things like that, that welfare thing that I was just talking about. That's the sort of policy that you would think takes months, if not years, to debate in Congress and on cable news and in op-ed pieces for it to pass. And it's happened, and nobody even knows it's even in there.
4: Well, two things. One, even during the height of the Great Recession back in 2008, 2009, Congress still debated what the recovery package should look like for months. Uh, This thing was done in a matter of weeks, maybe not even that. The second thing is, I don't think anybody would have any problem at all if you came forward and said, look, we want to do a package tailored to people who are still suffering because of COVID, whether because they've had COVID or they've gotten caught in one of these lockdowns or they've lost a small business. I'm, I'm totally fine with targeted assistance that looks at people who really needed it. But they went and they created essentially a giveaway program for people making up to $160,000 a year. Now tell me how that makes any sense at all. If you had said to me, look, we're going to do a package that's targeted at the lower 30% of the income distribution, and really make sure that people who are unemployed get back on their feet, totally fine. And I think you would have gotten 30 Republican votes for that, at least maybe more. But when you go out and you basically take out a bazooka to kill an ant, this is why people get worked up about it. Because it's, it's not reasonable. What we're doing is simply not reasonable, and it's being disguised as relief, which I think is the most difficult thing of all in all of this.
2: Right. The painful part to me is that what you're saying is is clearly true, but most of America has no idea it is happening. You know, they have used the COVID as an excuse to pat to reform American society and the relationship between the people and the government. Uh, financially, and, and they know exactly what they're doing. And I just think the Republican messaging is so bad, so floundering, and part of it is that, you know, Trump sucked so much of the oxygen out of the room, but you got Kevin McCarthy, who's he seems like a nice enough guy, but he's just mediocre. You got Mitch McConnell, who doesn't look like the brave conservative leader who's going to take us into the future. He looks like the guy who's going to cremate my aunt. I mean, just, who are, who are <laughs> the exciting, <laughs> eloquent leaders?
0: Oh, geez.
4: Well, uh, You know, I think um, I think there's a couple of things here. First of all, I think you guys are are, you make a very good observation about Trump. And that is that because Trump was the center of attention and he did suck so much of the oxygen out of the room, there really was for the last couple of years, it was really kind of are you for Trump or are you against Trump? And we really didn't take the time to develop during that during that period a Sort of a, certainly on the fiscal conservative side, we didn't develop a, a a real bench of people as well as a set of arguments that could resonate with the American people. And I think that's a problem also because there was some hypocrisy over the last couple of years amongst Republicans too. You had all these Republicans stepping up ready to spend money because Trump was president, and 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 that quite simply, you know, people look at that now, and even people who are skeptical about this 1.9 trillion dollar bill say, well, where were you guys? you know, two years ago when Trump was president. And you know what? They would be right to level hmm. that argument because I, I do think the hypocrisy is what bothers people. It's it's not so much the the idea that you're going to stand up for fiscal conservatism. It's the idea that you only stand up for fiscal conservatism when it's politically convenient. And that, I think, is a big problem. Juan so,
3: He Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University on the line. Mitch McConnell made the point on the floor the other day that, that $4 trillion that we spent last year uh in four different bills all got like 80 votes in the senate 90 votes in the senate and 80 percent in the house i mean they were way bipartisan so i just find that interesting on its face but is some of this complaining like um you know i'm one i'm the losing coach here in the ncaa tournament and i'm complaining that and the other team every time they got the ball they ran down to the other end faster than us and put it in the basket Every time! We're just mad that they (laughs) are better at us and beat us. I mean, the, 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 the other side's got the votes. They had the chance to ram it through. Would I be unhappy if my wish list got rammed through on 50 votes while nobody was paying any attention? I got all the immigration stuff and Social Security reform and all the things that my wish list all got through. Would I be unhappy about that? Probably not.
4: Yeah, look, they didn't do anything illegal. Right. I mean, they did exactly they did exactly what they had to do. They used the procedures and processes available to them because they have a majority in the House, a majority in the Senate, a functioning majority in the Senate, and they have the presidency. Right. So what does that tell us? That tells us that elections have consequences. And we've talked about this before, guys. I mean, it is it is absolutely true that there are policy implications and ramifications to every election. and You're seeing it now. And so, I you know, They didn't do anything untoward. They did exactly what probably politically one would have told them to do. Of course you would have hoped that they could have gotten together with Republicans on this because everybody loves it, as I have noted earlier, at some level to give away money. I am sure if they came back and said, look, we'll do a trillion-dollar package. We won't do this giveaway to multi-employer unions. We won't do this giveaway of $350 billion to state and local governments who largely don't need it. The Republicans would have said, fine. We'll let you have your $1,400 checks, even if you want to give it to people who are making almost two hundred grand a year. That's fine. Republicans probably would have caved on that. But they didn't even bother, right? That The Democrats just said, look, we have the votes. We have the political uh, tailwind at our back. We're going to do whatever we want to do. And they used the processes to their advantage and, you know, more power to them.
2: So we just have a couple of minutes left, Lonnie. I accidentally kind of watched the entire speech by President Biden last night, and it was <laughs> alternately—it was like a, you know, day-old room-temperature oatmeal, interrupted by like biting down on a rock every minute and a half, like excruciating pain, interrupting Ouch. the boredom and and distaste. Did you happen to watch that?
4: I did. I did. I mean, it's it. You know, this is this is who this is Joe Biden, right? I mean, it's the same kind of speech he's given. Uh, You know, every other time that he's been president, it's the same speech he gave, you know, when he did set-piece speeches during the campaign. It's kind of what we've come to know and expect from him.
2: Yeah, it was just heaping helpings of mother love, which I don't need from the federal government, interrupted by half-truths and lies about opening up the schools. And then the, the long and short of it was, if you follow all the rules and you wear the masks and the rest of it, you can have three people over on July the 4th. And I'm thinking, what? The the Texas Rangers are going to have a full stadium in two weeks, and you're telling me I can invite a couple of friends on July the fourth? F you!
3: I'm living my life.
4: God, I hated it. Well, this this is the whole thing that bugs me about about the entire kind of public health establishment is that you know they're giving this guidance, which is it's guidance that feels about like six months old, right? And Mm, people at, at that point, what do you expect people to do? give people realistic guidance. If they've been vaccinated and they're hanging out with a bunch of other people who've been vaccinated, then it seems to me that they can pretty much do life as normal. They shouldn't be subject to all of these rules and restrictions. And in California, we see the extreme form of that, right? It's it's the it's the guilting and the shaming if you don't wear a mask everywhere you go inside, even if you're hanging out with, like, people that are in your family that have all been vaccinated. So, I, you know, this is something I think, this is one of those things where public health professionals really have gotten this one wrong, and unfortunately, their guidance hasn't been helpful in many cases.
2: And of course, the mainstream media just praised the speech as it's somewhere between Churchill and the Gettysburg Address, made me want to vomit. Lonnie Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. We're always uh, grateful for your perspective, Lonnie. Thanks. Hey guys, thank you. Great to talk.
3: I've never heard him because he's a he's one of those people that's just kind of always optimistic and looking forward. I've never heard him so down about something. It's that $2 trillion bill passing with nobody paying any attention or caring what's in it. He, he does. You know, if you're a policy guy like him, I mean, he's the sort of guy that sits there with his sleeves rolled up late into the night, crafting policy for candidates and stuff like that. When right, you find yeah. out that, oh, no, all we needed to do was have the majority and we could have done anything we wanted, just written in, you know, make things great and ram it through. Um, that's all you needed. No, you know, no complicated <laughs> arguments.
2: I want to frame this moment in American political history. We need to take a break, but when I come back, I am going to frame it. It's going to include a reference to Hitler, but it will not be a cheap and tawdry reference to Hitler. It will be solid.
3: Did you say Mitch McConnell looks like the guy who's going to cremate your aunt?
0: Yeah, he looks like an
3: undertaker. He doesn't look like... (laughs) And his manner's that of a... Which sort of urn
2: would best uh, contain your beloved answer remains? I mean, that's his manner. I realize he's a genius of strategy in the Senate or whatever, but in terms of, like, bringing people to conservatism and rallying them and getting gung-ho, no, forget it. Please, I'll take the urn in the middle. (laughs) Armstrong and Getty.
1: Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring? com.